I'm calling today's word, With the Heart Man Believes. We're continuing on with the discussion of the heart and soul, looking at that aspect of the soul which is the mind, and in particular, how the mind affects our heart concerning our faith. There's a lot of speculation these days about what faith really is, especially among evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. What to pray and how to pray, what to hope for and what to expect. Many things are being claimed by faith and do not come to pass, and many get disappointed. And some think that God has forgotten them or didn't hear their prayers. Is there something that maybe needs to change in our thinking about our faith? What, in fact, is our faith? What do we believe and how do we believe? The Bible says that with the heart man believes. That's in Romans chapter 10, verse 10. So I'd like to discuss today the matter of believing with the heart and I'm going to start by saying that I personally have a very simple and straightforward approach to believing with my heart. There's an ongoing dialogue with God on a schedule of prayer concerns that sit in my heart that are being placed before him. I also believe that the Father knows what the cry of my heart is in any personal situations of my own and that Jesus will intercede on my behalf to the Father and that his will shall be done in my life for those situations. That way I'm confident that God is doing the supernatural work and I try to stay at rest in my soul, ready to do what work the Holy Spirit prompts me to do. Our deepest beliefs and values and desires reside in our heart and flow out of our heart as the real issues of our life. The heart expresses who we are and what we do. In Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for it is the outflowing of your life. So how do those beliefs and values and desires get into the heart? Well, our heart is informed by our mind as to what it acknowledges as being true and of highest value to us and therefore worth living for. We'll be discussing today the difference between what our natural, rational mind informs our heart of in contrast to what our renewed spiritual mind informs our heart of. Now let's look at the natural mind. As far as our natural, rational mind is concerned, on the one hand, it can certainly be convinced of high moral standards and virtues and aspire to those values and persuade the heart so that there is an outflow of civility and decency in that person's life. That's in the natural mind. But on the other hand, the natural rational mind can be deceived into accepting corrupt or hurtful attitudes as being the most rewarding things to convince and persuade the heart of. And they will become a destructive outflowing of that person's life. 
we see the panorama of all of these states of the heart, including our own, being played out in the world around us. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21, it speaks of those things of, uh, of evil and, and corruption that reside in the heart. And that is what is seen in the life and behaviour of a person. They start in the heart. What we do comes out of what has been planted in the heart. Now the natural human mind is a wonder of God's creative genius and it has brought into this world both great good and great evil. We can't live without our natural rational mind but we also can't let it run our lives when it comes to our inner being, our God with us spiritual life of faith. We need another kind of mind with a higher order of knowing and understanding truth than just the natural, rational mind. Well, let's look at our renewed spiritual mind. When Paul wrote to the churches, all of them, he instructed the newly converted non-Jewish Christians because he was talking to the Gentiles. That's where he was sent. The other apostles went to the Jews that lived under the old covenant. But he spoke to these newly converted Christians about not being conformed to the rational, natural mind of the world. This was a huge and fundamental change of thinking for these novel disciples. And Paul saw that this was vital for them in the new kingdom age of the life of God within us. And this comes out in all of his epistles, the Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, Philippians, right on through. Timothy, Titus, every epistle, he speaks about the engagement of the renewal of the mind from natural to spiritual. The heart of faith with the spiritual mind gets informed of spiritual truth. The mind has been renewed. And that renewed mind finds its home in the new heart, which is part of God's promise to us about the new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, speaking of the new covenant, God speaks through Ezekiel and says, a new heart I will give you. That new heart is the place where faith dwells. As I said, Paul wrote to all the churches that were in his care about the spiritual renewing of the mind. He spoke to them about how to know God by faith and how to be known of God by faith. But he also taught them how to see themselves as being part of the life of God. This was a revolution of thinking, and it still is. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's speaking about the mind and what the natural mind can do and what it can't do. Uh, he was writing to people who had lived within their Greek philosophical and religious culture and had been steeped in all those customs and behaviours in their natural minds. He told them that their natural, rational minds, and he calls them the soulish minds, those natural, rational minds. The Greek word is psychikos. He said they could not receive the things of the Spirit of God because those spiritual things were irrational to them. The natural mind thinks those spiritual things were absurd and they couldn't know them. 
because those things are spiritually discerned and that only those who were spiritual, pneumaticos, instead of psychicos or psychicos, this is the spiritual pneumaticos mind, those minds could discern those things only. And Paul finishes this topic about having a spiritual mindset by writing to the Corinthians that they could have the mind of Christ. What an amazing statement. Now, this does not mean that we know all the content of what Christ knows, but it means that we can think like Jesus thinks, have his mindset, and we can know what he reveals to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the revelation of things that he wants to let us know, the content of his mind. Paul also wrote to the Philippian church and he entreated them to have this mind in you which was also in Christ. When Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 20, he tells them that they needed to think differently and to live differently from all the Gentile unbelievers around them who obviously didn't know the Ten Commandments and who had all kinds of ideas about what religion or morality was, very similar to what we see around us today. He spoke about those unbelieving people as being ignorant of God and resistant in their hearts to God. They were separated from the life of God because of a mindset of separation. He goes on to say to that church, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught the truth concerning him, as it is in Jesus. You see, Paul had taught them of the gift of the life of Jesus within them that changes their old self-life with its natural mindset and natural desires of the heart into a new self-life in Christ, with a new mindset and with new spiritual desires in the heart. This is the transformational work that the Holy Spirit is doing. And he says to the Ephesian church, put off your old self. This is in that passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former wayward way of life, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. This is not just a different thing to think. It is also a different way to think. This is like a revolution of thinking. And this is actually what repentance is. But isn't repentance about turning away from sin? Yes. But how do you do that? Do we simply tell people to make a resolution, to use more willpower and stop sinning? The word repentance in the Greek, metanoia, means a change of mind. A 180 degree turnaround. Only our renewed mind understands the spiritual reality 
of a life of putting on the new self created after the likeness of God. Our renewed spiritual mind informs our heart of that truth and that becomes believed upon in our new heart and that becomes a new way of living. So you see, repentance has worked. That's the only way we can live above sin. People have to know how the turnaround comes. It is a new self created after the likeness of God that becomes the revelation within us through the Holy Spirit. And that is the only way we can live above sin, which it speaks about in 1 John 3 verse 9. That is the true repentance that leads to faith. And this is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit sent into the world to convince the world of sin because of their unbelief. This is New Testament gospel, repentance and faith. This putting off the old self and being renewed in the spirit of the mind and putting on the new self is to be an everyday activity for us all. We have both. We have a natural rational mind. And because of what the Holy Spirit has done in revealing to us that we have the life of Jesus and that we've been made one in spirit with him, we have a spiritually renewed mind. But we move in and out of our natural rational mindset throughout the day and we have to re-engage with our renewed spiritual mindset I believe a lot of the time and we'll know if we're being trapped in our natural rational mind because quite often they've, those thoughts have got a kind of a hook in them uh, an emotional hook that gets us into some kind of an attitude and you can say whoops I'm in my natural rational mind here And that's when we put off, get renewed in the spirit of the mind and put on the truth that we have accepted and believed. The best that a person could obtain in the Old Testament, as far as a pure mind is concerned, was to revere the Ten Commandments that God gave Israel. This is what David did. And he shares his love for God's commandments throughout the Psalms and speaks about how they restored his soul and enlightened his eyes, caused him to walk uprightly. That's in Psalm 19. But in Psalm 119, there are 176 verses, and every verse speaks about nothing else except David's love of God's law. We see the effect of this upon David in that he was a person of faith and was called a man after God's own heart. But that was the best that you could get in the Old Testament. You say, well, that's pretty good. Yes, but what I've read to you about Paul writing to the Corinthians and, and to the Ephesians was he was offering those Gentile churches a gospel of a totally new measure of truth and grace and faith through Jesus Christ that was above and beyond the Old Testament faith experience or comprehension. This was a new word with a new voice, the voice of Jesus. You see, now there is just one voice 
I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, or through his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. That's Jesus. The voice of God's Son is better than the voice of the prophets. This was the motive of the epistle to the Hebrews. It was the purpose of the letter and the heart of the message of that book. When Paul comes to the faith chapter in chapter 11, he shows us the faith of the patriarchs and the prophets from Abel and Noah and Abraham through Moses and Gideon and David, which we spoke about. And their faith, which was counted to them as faith, was the faith for that time. And they revered God's word and his commands. They were devoted to him. And their faith was a faith for that time. Then Paul tells us that the faith of Jesus in comparison to those works and words was something far greater. He closes that faith chapter, chapter 11, with the words, God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect or complete. So that excellent faith in those days was waiting to be completed by the new kind of faith imparted by God himself through Jesus to our hearts. And he begins the next chapter, that's chapter 12, by saying that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Talks about looking to Jesus. Now, what he's saying is all true faith now begins and ends in him, in Jesus. That's the major point that I want to make today about with the heart man believes, because that's where Jesus is. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That word author, in the Greek it is archigos, means the primary bringer of. In other words, Jesus, the primary bringer of our faith and finisher, the Greek word there is teleotes, means the final goal achiever of our faith. So we look to Jesus, who is the primary bringer of and the final goal achiever of our faith. When faith is needed, it will not be withheld. We can always be assured that Jesus is interceding for us to the Father for his will to be done in our lives. That's the basis of my faith. But our faith can be imparted from the heart of Jesus into our heart and we receive that gift of faith. If someone tells me that they have received real faith for a situation, I would sincerely assume that they received it from Jesus and that they heard him. I don't mean audibly. There could be a, a witness of the Holy Spirit, a sense, a, a sense of the peace of God, a sense of a rising of faith and conviction, being convinced that 
Yes, Lord, I've heard from you. Now, you know that experience. That's coming from the heart of Jesus into your heart. And that's what Paul wrote. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he said, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, that word, word there, is rhema, which means the utterance. It's not just the written word, not just the logos. Faith comes when we get that whisper through the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us. That's where faith comes from. But can't we just read a scripture and say we'll receive it? I mean, I've read something. It's a promise. Well, I'll receive it if I believe it. And I'll just claim it. To that kind of question, Jesus said this in John five thirty nine: You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Well, of course, that doesn't mean you don't use the scriptures. In fact, we should all be living in the scriptures because they're speaking about Jesus and they're bearing witness to him. But if you're going to get faith, if you're going to have Jesus impart faith from his heart to yours, you need to hear that still small voice. So our spiritually renewed mind can go to the scriptures to receive truth about Jesus, but our heart needs to go to Jesus and wait for him to speak his truth to us. That way, you read truth with your renewed mind and you hear Jesus in your heart and you will see his supernatural work on your behalf. To believe in healing or any other supernatural work of God is one thing, but to have faith for it is altogether something else. You can believe, but I'm talking about having faith. This is the heart believing, not just the mind knowing and reading and even acknowledging. If you receive healing or any other supernatural work of God, it will be because of the impartation of his faith. It will be because faith has flowed out of his heart into yours. And that is the only faith that brings about the work of God. And you can have it. He does give it. Then you will know that your faith, your shared with Jesus faith, is a gift from God. The Bible even says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 that by grace you are saved and this was through faith. So we had to have faith for that work of the Saviour on our lives, that exchanged life. But then he says, but this faith is not yours, it's the gift of God. The shared with Jesus faith is a gift from God. And that's the faith that brings about the work of God. The wonder of the gift of God lies in the fact that faith for any supernatural work of God is frequently imparted to us as a gift when we feel the least deserving of it. It's not like we have to somehow pass some kind of merit test in order to have faith imparted to us. It's not always the product of our loyal exercise of godliness, which I recommend for us all. That faithful waiting upon him, that's, that's what we're exhorted to do. But you see, God hears the cry of our human heart when we can't even put a prayer together in our heads. There are times when we just can't make it, we can't get there. And that's the gift of God that just comes to us. 
I can't remember working my way intellectually into becoming saved in the first place and so far as having a revelation of the grace of God and the life exchange and sharing the life of Jesus. I didn't think that out. It was just given to me. And that's why I can trust that God knows the cry of my heart. He knows the cry of all of our human hearts when we haven't got it together. God says he dwells in a high and holy place and with the humble in spirit to restore the spirit of the lowly and revive their aching heart. That's in Isaiah 57, verse 15. But now let's look at being exercised in godliness. Now I'm talking about a different situation. Not when we we feel like we just haven't got it together and here is God doing something sovereign and and giving us a gift like that as a just as a as a loving father to a child. But as we seek after God from our hearts and we start to get exercised in that spiritual work, and you know, we will not always feel that we've received faith from Jesus for some particular request. So it is not as though Oh, well, I'm going to do my exercise now and sit and wait on the Lord and I know I'll get a word. No, sometimes you don't. So we're doing this and we say, well, I did that, but I didn't get faith. But you know what you always do have? You always have Jesus. So our faith is never far away because Jesus is at work on our behalf in the world of the unseen. That is faith. And we remember the words of our Lord. Without me, you can do nothing. We can be comforted that being with him in our heart is at least, or it is certainly the best place to be. And I'm willing to rest in that and say, that's faith. I didn't get the answer that I wanted, that I thought I'll get faith for this, but I've got Jesus. And that's faith. He is the gift. So what I recommend to people is, Look, pray and ask anyway. Jesus is there. Don't feel, I haven't got enough faith. He is your faith. So we bring a prayer request before God, whether it's for guidance or spiritual understanding or healing or any other spiritual or material need, we can wait on God for the witness of the Spirit. For the faith of Jesus, we can do that. Now, if we receive that, then that is a gift from Jesus. In the meantime, we've made our request with sincerity of heart and we surrender the request from our heart to God's heart. That is the most and the best we can do. We then leave it in God's hands and trust the Holy Spirit and Jesus, who is the one who intercedes for us according to the will of God. That's in Hebrews 7 verse 25. And in Romans chapter 8, then that peace of God that surpasses all understanding can be ours. So we don't say, well, look, what am I going to do? Will I wait for a sovereign work of God? Will I continue to wait on God and expect a word? Surrender it to the Lord, to God's heart, and trust the Holy Ghost. That scripture that speaks to us about this is in Philippians 4, verse 6. It tells us, that if we bring these things before God, he will give us a peace for both our heart and our mind. It will be guarded and protected from fear and anxiety through Jesus Christ. 
Let me read that scripture, Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So we pray and ask anyway. And God is caring for us. So how do I know that I'm believing from the heart and not my natural mind? How do I know it's the renewed spiritual mind that's informing my heart? When we're genuinely seeking to believe God and yet somehow realise we're still functioning in our natural minds, as I said before, we become more aware of the way our emotions get attached to our thoughts. The anxiety digs in and the doubts line up waiting for our attention and our sense of God's peace seems to vaporise. Now, as we've seen in that scripture that we just read in Philippians, that doesn't have to be a problem as long as we become aware that we need to make the shift of bringing our mind into the heart. We recall to mind his love for us, cast our cares upon him. All things are possible to those that believe, but it's important to know how you believe. The imperative from Jesus has always been Seek first the kingdom of God. That is why the emphasis is on the surrender of the natural to the spiritual. It is surrendering to find the treasure and being aware of our human shortcomings as well as God's gracious provision for us. He does provide those other things. Then we can know that Jesus will be to us all he has promised to be, first spiritually and then physically and materially. This is the renewing of the mind, aligning our minds with the mind of Jesus who emptied himself from his me-self. The pathways of the mind into the heart are being formed each time we let go of one direction of the mind and move into the other, continually returning to God with us. Amen.